God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight of my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Jack Aford of the Church of the Way in Van Nuys, California told a story about his grandson, Kyle. Kyle was nine years old and had recently lost a tooth. In the Hayford household, the tooth fairy pays a dollar per tooth. A lot of inflation since I was there. <laughs> that night, when the tooth fairy put a hand under Kyle's pillow to recover the tooth and leave a silver dollar, he found not the tooth, but a note from Kyle. The note read, Dear Tooth Fairy, I am holding my tooth for ransom. <laughs> the fee will be $20. I am doing this for three reasons. I have had this tooth longer than any of my other teeth, and I'm very fond of it. Two, it is bigger than all my other teeth. And three, it has silver in it. <laughs> Sign, Kyle. In the morning, Kyle awoke eagerly, put his hand under his pillow. But instead of finding a $20 bill, he found a note. <laughs> Dear Kyle, Enjoy your tooth. <laughs> Signed, the tooth fairy. <laughs> Verse 29 of our gospel reading says of the lawyer, but wanting to justify himself, to explain his actions, to prove that he was behaving rightly. Self-justification is not a habit unique to religious lawyers and nine-year-old boys, is it? We all do it. We twist and turn and reason and opine and try to find a way to make what we want to be and want to do look like the way God wants us to be and to do. We seek over and over again to justify ourselves. We treat the Almighty like some supreme tooth fairy in the sky. Then we attempt to convince the supreme tooth fairy that whatever we think and do is right, especially when it comes to how we treat each other. Like the lawyer, we seek to justify ourselves and our actions. G.K. Chesterton was a brilliant and witty author and editor and a devout Christian 
He lived in England from about, you know, he was popular in England from about 1900 to about 1930. You can still see on PBS the Father Brown mysteries. Those are based on stories he wrote. Chesterton once observed, sometimes Jesus tells us to love our neighbors. Other times he tells us to love our enemies. This is because, generally speaking, they are the same people. <laughs> Chesterton probably didn't know how accurate he was because he was not a scholar of the Hebrew language. But Amy Jill Levine, a conservative Jewish person who is the New Testament scholar at Vanderbilt, writes this about this text. In Hebrew, the words neighbor and enemy share the same consonants. They differ only in vowels, which are not included in the text. Hebrew is a consonant language written in consonants, and the vowels are assumed. They have cheat sheets, cribs, where sometimes they'll put what are called vowel points in, but they're not a part of the language. So when you see two consonants, you have to know the context to know the word. It's as if you saw in English BT. You have to supply the vowels. That could be bat, could be bet, could be bit, could be bot, could be but. What the context dictates what you read. So Jesus asked the lawyer, when he said, who is your neighbor? Jesus said, what does the Torah say? What do you read there? Levine says he is asking, are you able to see in Torah's words the command to love both your neighbor and those whom you would see as enemies? What do you read when you see a word that could be either neighbor or enemy, Jesus says. <laughs> so when the lawyer responds, okay, so who is my neighbor? He is doing more than trying to justify himself. He reveals that he didn't get the love your enemy part of the equation. What he really wanted to know was this. So exactly whom can I reasonably be expected to help when they are in trouble? Who do I have to stop for and who can I ignore? That's his question. How limited am I? How do I who, who can I not treat? I think Jesus is Southern. You know, somebody asked him a question and he answered with a story. How many times you ask somebody in the South a question and said, let me tell you a story. <laughs> so Jesus is Southern. He told him a story. A story that turned the question upside down and on its head. In what we call the Good Samaritan, Jesus told the lawyer, in effect, your neighbor is exactly the opposite of who you think it is. And instead of you helping your neighbor, your neighbor might help you. When we hear a story, we usually identify with someone in it, don't we? Consciously or unconsciously, we listen and we start identifying. Yes, I'm like that person. That's the way I feel. Or that's the way I think I would behave. Or I understand how that person feels or behaves. When most of us hear the story of the Good Samaritan, we really want to identify with the good guy, don't we? 
we, we'd like to think that like him, we'd be helpful and kind. None of us wants to be the priest or the Levite, someone who's too busy or too self-important or too something to care. We like to think of ourselves as a good, kind, Mother Teresa type person, quietly coming to the aid of a stranger. But Jesus was a good storyteller. And as a good storyteller, he knew who his listeners were likely to identify with. And in this case, it would not be a Samaritan. We're so used to the Samaritan being a good guy. The good Sam. You go around and see RVs. The good Sam Club, right? Good Samaritan Hospital. We don't quite realize that what an upside-down twist this was for Jew Jesus' audience. Jesus' audience was Jewish. The man in the ditch was Jewish. The priest was Jewish. The Levite was Jewish. The robbers were Jewish. The lawyer was Jewish. This is a completely Jewish story, and the last person any of these people expected to show up in this story as a hero was a Samaritan. They just didn't get along with each other at all. And as a storyteller, Jesus used a set of three to build their expectations to sharpen the contrast. It's a standard storytelling technique. You play into people's expectations and then give them a last-minute twist. We're familiar with sets of threes. They're done all the time. Jokes. A minister, a priest, and a rabbi went into the bar. Not a joke, but father, son, and Holy Spirit. Show my age. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Larry, Moe, and Curly. We know how this works. <laughs> so when Jesus said a priest, a Levite, and what the Jewish person would expect next was Israelite. A priest was one category of folk, Levite another, and there, there was everybody else that were Israelites. We would say a priest, a deacon, and a church member. Or maybe a priest a vestry member and a church member. <laughs> kind of thing they were expecting. And everybody loved it because, you know, okay, they're, they were just as anti-clerical as we are. You know, at a certain level, you know, who does he think he is walking around in that white robe and those stoles? He thinks he's better. Look at that priest walking by on the other side. And that, that deacon, he ignored him and said, now here comes the good, ordinary Jewish person that's going to be helpful. At this moment, Rabbi Jesus popped a hated enemy into this story. And so there was a priest, a Levi, and a Samaritan. A priest, a deacon, and a Muslim terrorist. A priest, a deacon, and a secular humanist. A priest, a deacon, and a Lutheran. <laughs> a priest, a deacon, and a Democrat. A priest, a deacon, and a Republican. A priest, a deacon, and a socialist. A priest, a deacon, and a capitalist. A priest, and a deacon, and an illegal immigrant. Or, 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 you fill in the blank. Jesus turned them on their ear to say, the person you think is your enemy turns out to be the person who's a friend. And not only that, it's not the person who needs help, it's the person who turns around and gives help. Jesus took their preconceived notion of where they could look for help in time of need and turned it upside down and inside out. 
He told the lawyer, and by extension, the listening crowd, and by extension, us, that our name, the one who would might help us, could be very well be the very person we least expect. Indeed, it could be a person we would be most unlikely to help for the shoe on the other foot. When the lawyer asked Jesus who his neighbor was, the lawyer was trying to justify himself by defining the limits of his required ethical actions toward others. And Jesus upended this effort at self-righteousness by establishing a love ethic that has no limits, that does not operate from a definition of who's in and who's out, of who's cool and who's not, from a definition of who you are as you love others. About 20 years ago, late 90s, there was a KKK rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan. There were many, many counter-protesters, police lined the parade route, a barrier separated the protesters from the KKK marchers, as is often the case, the anti-Klan folk far outnumbered the Klansmen and their hangers-on. Somehow, one of these hangers-on, not in a Klan robes, but wearing a Confederate t-shirt, and he had SS tattoo on his arm, found himself on the wrong side of the barrier. He stumbled into the midst of the anti-Klan protesters and someone said, Look, there's a Nazi, let's get him. People started pushing and punching. He ran, they chased, he fell, they pounced. With shouts of kill the Nazi, people began to beat him with their hands and with their wooden signs and to kick him. And suddenly a good Samaritan appeared. Keisha Thomas an 18-year-old black leapt out of the crowd and onto his back, spread herself on top of the man, absorbing some of those hits and kicks and shouting, this is not right, this is not right, you can't beat goodness into a person. The sight of this fierce and insistent black teenager protecting a middle-aged white racist man stopped that crowd in their tracks. They melted away. Keisha was not hurt, and the man himself got up and left, ran away without saying a word to her. But a year or so later, she was coming out of a coffee shop and a young white man approached her and stood about five feet away and hesitantly said, Thank you. You saved my father's life. Keisha Thomas' actions halted a cycle of violence and turned it in a new direction because she was willing to look at the person everyone considered an enemy and treat him as though he were her neighbor. He experienced mercy from someone he thought he hated, someone he had made his enemy, someone he would have treated as an enemy had he had the chance. 
At the beginning of our gospel reading, the lawyer asked Jesus a question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered with the story of the Good Samaritan. Then he asked the lawyer a question. Now, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man in the ditch? To the lawyer's credit, he was able to say the one who showed the mercy. This day, and every day of our lives, Jesus asked us the same question. Who is your neighbor? Who is your enemy? Can you read there? That we're all friendlies. As Chesterton said, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. He also tells us to love our neighbors. Because if we read the Bible right, if we read our neighbors and our enemies right, if we see all people with the eyes of faith and promise, we discover we are all the same people who have been called to love and be loved without limit and without hesitation. Amen. Amen. Amen.